Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. We're going to turn our attention now to another topic, a coronavirus outbreak at San Quentin. The the prison is home to a growing number of cases following a botched transfer of inmates from a men's prison in Chino, which was previously reported as having the deadliest outbreak in California's prisons. San Quentin now has 445 cases of coronavirus, a jump from zero reported cases prior to the transfer in late May. And to lawmakers and prisoner advocates, the outbreak at San Quentin was entirely preventable and the result of poor planning by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. The department says while some inmates tested positive upon arrival to San Quentin, they had been tested and medically evaluated prior to the transfer. Joining me first to discuss this story is Mark Levine, Assemblyman for District 10, which includes San Quentin Prison in Marin County. And welcome, Mark Levine. Good to have you back with us on Forum. Good morning, Michael. Good morning to you. Let me first uh, ask you your response to what has been put out by the CDRC, that is the California Department of uh, Rehabilitation and Corrections. Uh, They're saying essentially that uh, they've been working very hard on this uh, and uh, checking up on prisoners uh, looking to improve, but that they tested and uh, somewhat methodically eliminated those uh, who were infected before they shipped them off to San Quentin and to uh, Corcoran. In the pandemic, Marin's public health officer, Dr. Matt Willis, raised a concern with me that San Quentin wasn't doing appropriate planning for a surge of infections. I raised these issues in April and May, didn't receive the response that I had hoped for. And so when we hear that they had tested the, uh, the prisoners prior to transfer, it's, it's somewhat deceitful because many of those tests took place weeks before the transfer. And upon arrival at San Quentin, the Chino inmates were exhibiting symptoms. They panicked. They actually reached out to local public health professionals about how to set up protocols for testing so many transfers at once. They had over 120. Actually, forgive me, something. When they were showing symptoms on the bus, I think even weren't they? That's right. That's right. And so uh, they they very quickly had to deal with this mess. But then a series of gas continued this problem where they commingled Chino inmates with San Quentin inmates, allowing for San Quentin inmates to also become infected. And this has spiraled out of control from 122 inmates transferred from Chino to over 420 inmates at San Quentin testing positive today. Uh, this is a catastrophe. This is what an outbreak looks like. And uh, along, along this whole path, uh, CDCR, as well as the federal receiver, has engaged in a series of gas to exacerbate this problem. Yeah, it is an outbreak. And um Oh, excuse me. Um, Outbreak of a sneeze there that I didn't anticipate. Um, And and you put out actually a request uh, for a COVID plan. uh, And, you know, you should have had response. You didn't get a response. Who's accountable here? Well, I asked CDCR and the secretary, uh, Ralph Diaz, to create a plan, site-specific plan, not just for San Quentin, but every facility in the state. We have 35 of them. They preferred not to do it that way. Uh, They had a system-wide plan. That was the first error. But uh, upon the series of gas that has led to this outbreak, I asked them to create an incident command center. This week they have finally uh, created one. But I think that when we have over 400 
infected now, we can see the trend. It's going to end up being 800 at least uh, if we look at the, the trends of infections and that perhaps now they need to create an on-site hospital with an on-site ICU at San Quentin. The purpose, of course, as we've begun since the very beginning of the pandemic, to lower hospitalizations, to protect hospital capacity. Right now, we don't have an emergency and we don't have a crisis in the local community. And in California, we've got space in our hospitals, but we need to protect hospital capacity and and the prison system needs to do that immediately. You also asked, I believe, the CDRC not only to create an incident uh, command center, but also develop a possible containment and prevention plan. Uh, Any action on that score from them or what's the response? They are working on this. I also believe they need to put an epidemiologist in charge with with decision-making authority. They need to listen to science. They need to listen to medical professionals. They can't have uh, people who manage prisons making decisions in a pandemic environment without having the best in public health uh, in mind leading those decisions. Now, I know that CDCR has worked with the Office of Emergency Services as well as the Emergency Services uh, Authority in California because they see that uh, you know this is a, a disaster in the making and they need to contain it. They're probably going to be releasing more prisoners from San Quentin. They've already released thousands across the state to lower the density in our prisons. And they're probably going to be moving prisoners not to another prison where if there's a positive, it could spread and another outbreak can occur, but to some of the mothballed facilities that the state has so that we have, instead of transferring people to a place like San Quentin, where it spiraled out of control, a more controlled environment. Well, Mark Levine, good to have you with us, and I thank you for joining us on this segment of Forum. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. It's Mark Levine, uh, who is an assemblyman and who actually is representing District 10, which includes San Quentin Prison in Marin County. We're now going to welcome Kate Wolf, who's a reporter and weekend anchor for KQED News. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Michael. Hi. Hi to you. And hi to Adnan Khan, who's also joining us. He's executive director of Restore Justice, formerly was incarcerated at San Quentin Prison. Good to have you, Adam Khan. Welcome. Thank you. And Kate, let me begin with you. This all could have been avoided. I mean, it's uh, it's terrible what's happened here. And let's get a picture of just the irony in this, because for the most part, both these prisons, that is San Quentin and Corcoran, were pretty infection free, weren't they? They were, yeah. So St. Quentin had zero reported cases. Um, and we saw, you know, the, the irony here especially is that um, this transfer from the California Institution for Men, um, you know, it was well-intentioned. They, that, that, pop, that prison has a high um, elderly and medically vulnerable population. And, you know, they were, uh, a, an attorney that I talked to said that like they were trying to get elderly people out of a house on fire. Uh, and it's ironic that um, that now we're seeing a fire start in San Quentin, um, <laughs> metaphorically. Um, but we um, are, yeah, we're seeing uh, that medically vulnerable and elderly population that exists in San Quentin be, be hit by, um, by this too. So what's being done is- in the prison, Kate? I mean, I'm talking about how, with respect to hospitalization, but also with quarantining. So in the prison, um, we've seen people being isolated in uh, South Block, which is where they had been isolated. Um, medically vulnerable people have been isolated before. And, um, and then they started being isolated as well in the Adjustment Center, which um, is a, a place that has closed doors, uh, tiers are separated. Um, but that, that center has filled up with people who need to be isolated. 
And um, now we're seeing people being, uh, from what I hear from attorneys, being isolated simply in their cells with, uh, with their cellmates. In, and these, these cells, the doors are not uh, sealable, you know, and the, the tiers are not closed off from each other. Um, and these are kind of what they call open grill facilities where there are bars instead of doors. So um, transmission is more likely. Yeah, let me go to uh, Adnan Khan on this. Uh, Adnan Khan actually was incarcerated in San Quentin, and it's my understanding, Adnan, that uh, you, you, they were put in a unit called Badger, uh, but this was an upper tier, so they were able to essentially have droplets and all kinds of ways of infecting to the lower levels. Isn't that correct? Um, yeah, that's true. And Badger section is a, is a technically an isolated section from what we call the main line where I was housed at. But I just want to uh, share with all the uh, listeners here that when when people come in from another prison, they go to a place called R&R, which is receiving and release. And basically it's transportation of people coming and going out of that facility, out of San Quentin. So when when you bring 120 people to what we call R&R, the transportation area, the people who work there, I'm talking about the incarcerated people who work there, live, were like my neighbors on the general population mainline. So even though you will bring in people and isolate them in a quote unquote uh, separate section of San Quentin, you are coming to a section where you will be stripped out, you will be fed, uh, the, the cells will be cleaned, the holding tanks will be cleaned before you even get to a cell where you'll be housed. And so the interaction, and then mind you, there are correctional officers who have to escort these individuals. And so correctional officers, they don't just go from point A to point B. There will be specific uh, escorting officers who will who will go on certain tiers, who will go on certain in certain units, who will go back to the receiving and release section, um, who travel across the, the, the prison, who may do overtime in a different unit. So, so we can say that, sure, they were housed in a, on an upper tier, upper floor of, of a specific section. But the truth is there are multiple ways for someone who has COVID, and we're talking about 120 people, but one individual can easily pass it throughout the prison. Yeah, I mean, uh, how do you condemn row has cases? Yes. Uh, how do you how do you bring social distance in a prison? I mean, is is a question that's always been looming in my mind. Uh, you have uh, a, also a poor ventilation system. You have these tight quarters. And the fact of the matter is that you have shared space, eating, showers, everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, can I just share some numbers with you? How what that looks like? Well, first sure. of all, I just want to say that um, just for our, again, for our listeners and for everybody here, socially to be socially distant um is actually possible in prison and, and i'm saying that in a funny way because i was sentenced to be socially distant from society physical distance is very very difficult and the reason i'm making that distinction is because mental health and family re reunification or the inability to have family reunification during this time where we out here even though we're on this quarantine or self uh shelter at home we have cell phones and and tvs and facetime but the people inside don't uh, one of the drivers of mass incarceration is in a, is uh, mental health. So I just want to share that. But but physical distance is is impossible in prison. The reason why is I lived in North Block, where one of the outbreaks is occurring right now in, for four years. In North Block, there are 800 people that are that share five floors. Actually, there's five floors on two sides. So 800 people are living in this unit. 800 people share 12 phones. 800 people share about 20 plus shower heads that which are communal showers, which are about a, a foot apart. But on top of that, if we're talking, if, if we're getting CDC Center of Disease Control experts saying that to uh, even our governor to saying that we have to uh, socially distance, physically distance, be six feet apart. Well, I lived on a tier or on the floor that's architecturally 
uh, uh, made three foot wide. So I'm sharing a, a, a floor with hundred other people who are going in and out. You know, you've seen videos of New York City before the pandemic, for example, and you see people jam packed on the street, shoulder to shoulder. That's how it is inside this inside the prison facility with 800 people. So how can I physically distance from someone on a three foot tier? Uh, no, it's um, impossible. And try to be six feet it's, apart. Uh, it's impossible. Yeah, Adnan Khan, again, is executive director of Restore Justice, and he was formerly incarcerated at San Quentin Prison. I want to invite those of you listening to join us if you have questions or if you have responses. You can do that now at our toll-free number. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Again, that's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation declined to participate in this segment. Uh, we invited them, but they sent a statement. Let me just read it in part. It reads as follows. We understand the concerns surrounding the transfers of individuals deemed high risk for complications of COVID-19 to San Quentin. CDCR is working around the clock to fight COVID-19, not just at San Quentin, but at all institutions. While the inmates were tested and medically evaluated before the transfers, there were some who tested positive upon arrival and were immediately placed in isolation in accordance with Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guidance. That is, as Mark Levine, the assemblyman said a bit earlier, Kate uh, Wolf, uh, a bit deceptive, uh, would you say? Yeah, I think I think it is pretty deceptive. Um, you know, these people were uh, CDCR is does, has not addressed the fact that these people who were transferred were not transferred, uh, having been tested right beforehand. Um, CDCR, you know, at the same time, um, you know, these people had been, the virus had been maybe circulating among people on this bus from Chino up to San Quentin uh, for, for hours. And, um, and as Adnan said, you know, it's very, very difficult to isolate. And as Assemblymember Levine said, um, you know, their CDCR thought that they were experiencing a serious emergency, had to reach out to local public health experts to um, to get a handle on um, on testing uh, this as many people as as they need to test. And they have actually tested people um, quite rapidly. And, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of um, you know, a lot of a, a, an increase in cases, and, and that's certainly because testing has um, come through finally uh, through the, the prison. Um, but yeah, CDCR has not been very forthcoming with information, and um, you know, all parties here—the governor, CDCR, the California um, Correctional Healthcare Services—all have been shifting blame. Um, from one to another about um, who is actually to blame for this situation. And now lawmakers are getting involved. We're seeing the Senate Public Safety Committee, which is chaired by Nancy Skinner, um, has Scott Wiener, uh, local politicians on that committee. They are calling for an emergency hearing on July 1st to really assess how CDCR responded and um, and what should be done. And um, and, and also, you know, the, a federal judge is um, will be checking in on this situation on July 2nd um, to uh, analyze, you know, what's to blame and, and what should be done. So um, we should yeah, mention, I by think, the way, Kate, excuse me, that all this goes back to the federal court battle over uh, 
uh, how medical care should be essentially implemented in California prisons. Uh, it has a long-running uh, judicial uh, crisis in many ways uh, that has not been resolved. Uh, let me um, go back to you, Adnan Khan, if I may. Just uh, I was reading your Twitter feed, and you said, uh, getting back to the role that Kate's talking about with the CDRC here, there never really was a plan, was there? Uh, no, there wasn't a plan. You can, you know, we, it doesn't take a, a, a you know a genius to to figure out um, that there there is no plan. Um, you know, but can I can I just mention something? And and what I want to say is that we have to take a step back and first of all make a make a correlation and a direct direct connection to what's happening right now with the uprising of people talking about systemic oppression and people who are who are uh, um, you know protesting about change and and what's happening with police brutality. And marginalized communities, and specifically Black and Brown people, you know, prisons are are like a direct result of a place where you put people um, continuously uh, in in oppression. And so, when we talk about how did this outbreak happen, and all these people are are um, you know 400 plus cases in a matter of a week or two, well, the truth is we have to have to look at mass incarceration. How did mass? How, why are there so many people in prison? Right? It, it is the same officers that we're seeing brutalized journalists, brutalized medical people, peaceful protesters, uh, killing black and brown people in our communities who, who actually, based on their quote unquote credible testimony, have put, have put a lot of people in prison. Now, there's you know, a definite and, and link then, there, and I'm, and I'm glad that you had time to bring that up. We're actually pretty much running out of time, alas. Uh, but I just wanted to find out quickly from Kate Wolf, uh, the, is Marin uh, Hospital, uh, Marin General, prepared for these hospitalizations? We got seconds, unfortunately. But. Right. Um, I, there are two people who are being treated in, in Marin hospitals. I can't confirm whether that's Marin General. Um, but uh, certainly lawmakers and Mark Levine has said that hospital. Let me thank Kate Wolf. Let me thank Adnan Khan. And let me thank Mark Levine. Another hour of forum is up ahead. Stay tuned for that. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.